so yeah, it's, it's not just humans. There's bacteria. They did it. They were the original. They were changing the planet before it was cool. Nomadic cowbirds and poking the puffballs. I like turtles. And lightsaber frog calls. Fresh steamy scat filled with persimmon seeds. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lindsay. And you're listening to That's My Favorite, the podcast where we just geek out with naturalists. And today, we're so excited to have our friend and ex-Kansan, Jean Acock, on with us to geek out. Hi! (laughs) I'm so excited. Our very first remote guest. So I spent... Yeah, remote guest. I feel so privileged. Um, I spent five years up in Kansas. Um, so I don't know if that makes me an honorary Kansan or not, or oh, just it know, does. Uh, somebody who, who got to It does? Oh, good. Okay, I'll add that to my resume. Um, <laughs> now, for the last couple of years, I've been working in Mississippi. So I pretty much my whole professional career have been doing outreach education, which means that I'm the person that shows up to your kid's classroom with a box of really cool stuff and a live animal and teaches them something neat and then leaves before you have to do any classroom discipline. So it is an amazing (laughs) piece of the education puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's the best way to educate, honestly, when you don't have to have any kind of like responsibility long term. If if I can control a classroom for an hour, I am golden. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it's like being an aunt. You have all the fun and none of the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's right in there. You shake the kids up yep. and then hand them back to their teacher, just like, you know, their parents. <laughs> so that's, yeah. Aunt of, of education, grandparent of education, you know. Yes. And then do the cool stuff and leave. Being being the ant that shakes them up, you're shaking them up with like snakes and crocodiles and stuff. Because you're in Mississippi. You've got like yeah. crocodiles. I do <sighs> we do we have alligators here. No oh, wild right. crocodiles in Mississippi. So that's okay. a piece of that's a piece of my my usual program. But no, actually my <laughs> educational alligator is staring at me right now, wondering why I'm talking in the office. Cause usually I'm in here and not doing a whole lot of talking, just working. Um, so he's kind of kind of confused, I think. But it's a little difficult to read an alligator's expression. It's really cool that you have an alligator just chilling in your office. I have to agree. He's, yeah, the it's a it's a cool gig. Um, the snake, you know, the corn snake is kind of I feel like more normal, but alligator's the cool one. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know even in Kansas we weren't immune from alligator questions, so it's kind of cool to have the answer of like, <laughs> yes, we do have alligators. Would you like to see mine? <laughs> <laughs> oh geez so Jean, i hear that you are wanting to geek out today about something that is exceptionally dorky oh so dorky like possibly the dorkiest you might have had so far like uh, some of your topics people take it into dorky i don't know uh-huh, i don't know uh-huh. but this one a lot of people may not really think about as a naturalist topic and it's classification so how we organize where different plants and animals and and all the organisms in the world go um i love it i love it me too honestly it's like one of my um uh what's it called what's the opposite of pet peeves Lindsay? it's your favorite (laughs) Oh my god! Okay, yes, it's, it's my your favorite. favorite. Yeah, it's a, it's the name of your podcast. 
<laughs> so this is exceptionally well, nerdy and exciting. <laughs> exceptionally nerdy. And I came into it in kind of like a, a around the the mulberry bush sort of way. Um, Cause it's not anything I ever really thought a lot about. Cause you know, you go through school and they teach you, um, you know, you have your mammalogy and your ornithology and your herpetology and your ichthyology and all of that. And I'm like, okay, yes, that's mm-hmm. totally right. But then I got out into doing outreach education and there's so many questions, so many questions. Um, and you know, there's the easy answers that we get taught of where, especially animals are usually what people are asking about mm-hmm. kind of where they go and where they fit. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll do programs and the teacher asks you to talk about a particular group, you know, or one of the big programs I do right now, I talk about some mammals and I talk about some reptiles. And so I'll ask the kids, you know, what are the, the qualifications to be a mammal? You know, and okay, warm-blooded, got that, check. Um, hair and fur, cool. You know, <laughs> pretty easy on that one. Um, how do they reproduce? You know, do they have live birth or lay eggs? And the kids will very definitively say live birth but then there's one little joker and i always i I get excited waiting to see which one is gonna say but what about a platypus yes because they're still a mammal but they lay eggs and but then okay so what is it that really defines a mammal and you know making milk but it started kind of opening these little gray areas and they are all over the place um you know with these rules of where animals fit. Um, And it's so much fuzzier than when you're a little kid. Especially when you're talking Um, about mammals. When you really start to get into it. Mammals are so weird. So weird. And it's wonderful. You get it? it? Fuzzy? It's fuzzy? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh, you guys are my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is really cool. You know what's really funny to me is that your favorite example of like – figuring out taxonomy or explaining taxonomy is using mammals because I literally never use mammals to explain taxonomy to people. And I, I see a lot of, yeah, I see a lot of mammals in this or mammals. Good grief. I see a lot of uh, our naturalists here talk about taxonomy and programs and like everybody has their one thing. They always like I'm birds, Nicole's bugs. I've never heard Lindsay try to classify mushrooms because I think that's a very complicated topic, but (laughs) That's also really interesting, too. And I think, like, one of the coolest things about taxonomy or the reason, like, why it gets me excited, maybe you have the same feeling, Jean, is that it's, it's like, trying to figure out what makes something the way it is and, like, how we know something is a thing and then all the weird discrepancies that just, like, don't yes. follow rules. And it's just – it's so fun. <laughs> Well, I think I think it is like a basic human instinct to try and classify things. We expect little kids to do it. My toddler has a toy that is supposed to teach her to put certain shaped blocks into oh, holes. Yeah. Now, what she does is she picks up the lid, puts the block in, and puts the lid back, and looks at me like this was much easier. But yeah, you know, we, we teach <laughs> small children to to classify things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure if you go back to like Neanderthals, they were you know, sitting around, you know, trying to classify the rocks, you know, and arguing over which one was going to be the best to throw at a mammoth or something. Okay, um, let's slow down. You know, but slow it's down. what we do. Is I'm sorry, is, I get very excited. No, 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 no. I just mean like before you go any further, I need to know: is this like yes. an actual thing, or is this 
conjecture. Like, do we have actual evidence Neanderthals were organizing rocks into categories? Like, That's a valid question. I I don't know that we have actual evidence of it. This is my personal, like, mental image. But, I mean, you kind of, like, I think there's some recent stuff that's been coming out uh, where they've been finding... Um, like worked objects. And if you, if you're working with objects, you kind of start judging which ones are better to work with. Right. So, I mean, there's gotta be some basic, anyway, my theory then is that as long as we have had big squishy brains, we've been trying to organize things. I think that's a valid um, theory. Whether or not that's borne out by the, the scientific, yeah, the current scientific record, I'm not sure, but I really hope it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it has to be in some sense, right? Like um, early humans would use specific animals' bones for specific purposes, yeah. and they had to have used like specific rocks over certain other rocks. So, like, it makes sense. I mean, you had to figure out, yeah, like a shoulder blade is a much better shovel than a toe bone, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, they they were organizing things, you know. And as far as the written record goes, um, you know, we, we've got a lot of stuff. I got one I'll talk about in a little while, mm-hmm. um, cause it goes a little better in another spot, but you know, we just have these historical ways that we've organized things, you know, cause if we talk about kind of the most basic unit of an organism, it's not the cell that we're talking about today, but the idea of a species. Okay. So you mm-hmm. have a, a species that kind of goes together, um, and you have different ways to, um, you know, kind of name those species. Um, and, you know, historically, we've tried a lot of methods. The one <laughs> that we're familiar with today, um, you know, you could hear it called um, like binomial nomenclature. Um, yeah. This whole idea that each species gets, you know, its little genus and its specific epithet. Well, it's a pretty new concept, you know, like 1700s. So when you look at the history of you know humanity, we were fumbling around for a long time before we landed on this system. Um, and so the guy that came up with it was a guy named Carl Linnaeus, who um, if you're familiar with biology or you took a biology class, you've probably heard that name before. Yeah, I've heard it as an adjective too. Like Linnaean. Linnaean taxonomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of a more interesting character than just this dude that was sitting around thinking about animal names. Um, and this is, again, is this basic part of humanity. He actually had like this belief that God had called him to organize nature. Oh, I did not know that. And so he kind of did that. Yeah. It was like, I mean, this was back when any kind of science and research, a lot of it was based in the church um, you know, the, the Catholic church as sort of a way to examine God's creation yeah, uh, was the idea. And so he kind of got, he was a botanist and he got this idea one to start organizing, um, plants by how they reproduce, Oh, you know, to kind of divide up your flowering plants and your non-flowering plants and all of that. That was him that came up with that idea and it was actually really controversial he got called yeah there was a guy um there's some wild um people that were really really grumpy with him um there was a guy named uh, an english naturalist his this is a great name william good enough (laughs) (laughs) that's like my favorite Um, name now oh my gosh (laughs) um but he was just appalled 
at this whole idea of Linnaeus said um, that his disgusting names, his nomenclatural wantonness, vulgar oh! lasciviousness, and wow. the and the gross prurience of his mind. So this is serious stuff. Those People are some in- get really serious. Yeah, those are some incredible insults too. Like, wow, right? Yeah, this is like fire and brimstone all over how you organize plants. That's insane to so- me. Yeah. So all of this was going on. And this wasn't even when he got to the whole idea of maybe we just come up with one name for each species. You know, so now you have your genuses, uh, genera, if we Mm want to be better grammatically, Mm -hmm. um, which tell you um, kind of a group of plants or animals or any organism um, I'm not used to talking about fungi. I'm sorry, Lindsay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Nobody is. <laughs> and um, you know, but, but before then, they you have the the specific epithet, so that thing that says, okay, we're talking about this particular organism within this genus. Well, right before this, they had kind of the idea of genus down, but they had it was called polynomial nomenclature. Oh. So instead of just two, you had a bunch of ways to describe an individual species. So like if you go look this up on Wikipedia, the example they give is a plant um, in the genus Plantago. And so for that one particular plant, um, its scientific name before the Linnaean system was Plantago folius ovato lanceolatus pubis and tebus spica cylindrica scapo teredi. Oh. I cannot even do it in one breath. Oh my word. Because <laughs> Yeah, it was the plantain with pubescent ovate lanceolate leaves, a cylindrical spike, and a terete scape. Because you had to... That's ridiculous. Yeah, you had to get really specific to describe which individual organism within the genus you were talking about. And if it was a big genus, you had had to get kind of crazy. You know, if you just had a couple species, it was not that big deal. Today, that same plant um, is just Plantago media. Much easier, right? That's... That's so much better. <laughs> so much I can't better. People were that mad at Linnaeus for trying to like create a much better or more succinct system than that mouthful. It's just yeah, but yeah. So that that whole idea of being able to name things specifically um, was big Literally. because now around yeah around <laughs> the world it was a whole lot easier to talk to each other about it. And you saved a lot of space when you were writing papers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I guess the ink savings must have been huge too. Um, <laughs> and when you're handwriting everything, oh my gosh, it must've been terrible. You know, either that or they're paying a lot of graduate students to do the writing. <laughs> um, might've been both. Uh, so even, even just the way that we name things, because before that you had these long unwieldy names you might try to kind of go with common names in each individual language, but that gets crazy. It's easy-ish if you're just talking about, you know, okay, around Europe, we're all probably talking about like the same bear or, mm-hmm. you know, over in North America. Yeah, it's the white-tailed deer pretty much through all all of, you know, at least the eastern part of the country. Um, but yeah, you get down into like weird little plants and lichens. And this is before you even get down to bacteria and things. Mm, right. Um, you needed a better way to 
talk about a species. Especially when you had different uh-huh. languages. So like that's still a problem yeah. today. Like I know when I go birding in other countries and like even English speaking ones like England, they have something called a goosander and it's like, what is that? Well it's a common merganser. <laughs> but the the main way you know that is the scientific name. Yeah. I think, what is it? Red tail hawks over in England, uh-huh. they call a buzzard or something. Uh, but yeah, you run into all that. Um, like here in North America, I think, what is it? The ABA has like standardized common names, mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't do that for mammals. They don't do that for plants. So no. it's, and, and like you said, it's around the world. It's, you're still um, going to get messed up. So right. you hear them called Latin names, which Okay, it kind of started out that way, (laughs) but now it's just you know when you name a species, you just kind of kind of make it sound Latin. Yeah, and there's um, enough too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, does it sound weird? I think might be just the the best. Um, (laughs) Can it sound kind of scientific? But yeah, like you get stuff named after people. Like I I think there's a whole ton of stuff named like brownie eye and. like people's oh gosh, names, all, all sorts of the naturalists. Basically. People's names, yeah. yeah. Dude, last night I gotta find this text. Dexter Mardis texted me, and I I googled what he sent me, and I could not figure it out. But he sent me a scientific name that said Thanatorthyristes de Groot Orum, like it was named <laughs> after Guardian of the Galaxy stuff. And I tried to Google oh it, and gosh. I have no idea what it was. But there's tons of pop I'm culture sure references now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, named, yeah, named after different characters and Beyonce, um, all sorts of things. Oh, I'm yeah, positive. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of a fun thing when you get into it when you look at the kind of the sources of the names. But yeah, and so all of that kind of leads into though. Okay, we've named it, but how do we decide what falls into that group? Yeah, why is a platypus a mammal even though it lays eggs? Yeah, Um, even though it lays eggs. And so you have to come up with a way to describe that. And we've been trying to define, you know, and describe individual species for, again, a long, long time. Um, One of my very favorite anecdotes, um, and at least we have the, the record of where somebody wrote this down, whether or not it actually happened might be another thing. But Plato supposedly... Um, gave kind of a joking definition of humans as featherless bipeds. And so (gasps) one of his contemporaries, (laughs) yeah, and that's where I first came across it. But one of his contemporaries apparently decided it would be hilarious if he plucked a chicken, brought it into Plato's Academy and held it up going, hey, I've brought you a human. (laughs) <laughs> it's a featherless biped ta-da um and so they they fix the definition by adding with broad flat nails you know fingernails mm. and so yeah i mean we, we've been trying to figure this out and that's it's just a hilarious story um i think it floats around like tumblr every now and then just as another one of those great examples of humans being ridiculous in yes. the best kinds of ways absolutely <laughs> um, yeah but i just love that stuff and yeah. it's part of what cracks me up about this Um, but there's actually an entire branch of studying this whole idea of what we call a species concept of how do you describe a species? Yeah. So how do you describe a species? 
Well, there's at least 26 different recognized species concepts. <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. I didn't either. I did not know that either, that there were that many. I was like going through my head last night thinking, trying to think of all the ones. And I, I went to the internet to just check my, um, you know, terminology, make sure I was going to talk about the right ones. Mm-hmm. And then I pull up the Wikipedia. I'm like, what do you mean? There's 26. Yeah, we did not you know, teach that in our biology classes at school. Yeah. <laughs> we learned like maybe, seven. like maybe three or four. Oh yeah. <laughs> three or four or an advanced one, six or seven. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and they all kind of work, but they won't work for everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have, um, probably the first one that people kind of tried would have been like the morphological species concept going off of like body physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but that's not great because it doesn't cover everything. No. Do you want to um, hear my favorite example? Please, 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 please. Okay. So in the last like decade, we've realized that even though falcons look a lot like hawks, they're actually more related to parrots. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So based on morphology, we've always classified the same than the same, but now we have them totally separated taxonomically from well, hawks. Yeah. My guess is I didn't know that, but they probably looked at like genetics. Yeah. Yep. Uh, to figure that out. So yeah, that's another kind of species concept is getting down into the DNA. Um, you have the biological species concept, which is can they breed together and create viable offspring? Mm. Um, yeah, which makes sense. I mean, because if you think about the classic example is like horses and donkeys, right? Um, 99.99% of the time, the mule that is created is not going to be able to reproduce. Um, there's apparently at least one record of a mule successfully having a foal, but, um, you know, but that pretty firmly divides horses and donkeys. But then you get into stuff um, with like some of the big cats that mm. they can breed and, you know, it's it's a little weird, you know, or you get things that might be able to successfully breed together, but would they ever meet in the wild, you know, because right. they're completely different continents or something. Um, and that doesn't even begin to get into stuff that reproduces asexually. Right. Yeah. You know, so does it breed together? Does that matter for something that doesn't require a second individual to reproduce? Um, and so um, it's this whole kind of wild, um, you know, study. And it actually has a name, micro taxonomy, because you are concerned <laughs> with the teeniest, tiniest little piece of this issue wow. of, of taxonomy. A new favorite term. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm so excited. I just, I literally just learned that last night as I was, you know, kind of fine tuning my research for today. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Taxonomy yeah. makes me feel like it's, it sounds like a really pedantic type of taxonomy. And I'm so here for this. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're trying to be technically correct, which yeah. everyone knows is the best kind of correct. So um, <laughs> it's a whole thing. But it gets into, um, you know, and there's where you get, lumpers and splitters you know the people that are arguing back and forth and yeah you you twitched there of should things be you know separate species or should you just lump them all together because if you you know are splitting these categories up finer and finer at what point does it kind of stop making sense or does it get just so fine a division that it's useless right Um, yeah and that's like 
arguing about subspecies and different morphs and yes. things like that. Like that's huge in birds. I know that's again, like my yeah. pet example, but like, do you consider a Crider's morph red-tailed hawk a separate species? Is a cackling goose a separate species from a Canada goose or is it a subspecies of the Canada goose? And like, it's I, yeah. constant back and forth. <laughs> it's a whole thing. But yeah, birds are probably, I think one of the most well-known for the lumpers and the splitters and like you go through and they'll they'll squish everything together and you get those hybrids where ranges meet that call everything into question um you know down here in mississippi we have um the mississippi sandhill crane oh which yeah it's it's endangered um because it's been classified it's a non-migratory subspecies wow but really you know, when you start looking at the genetics, you can kind of make some arguments over whether it's really a subspecies or if it's just a group of weird cranes. Either way, <laughs> they have their own refuge, and it's really cool stuff they do down there. Um, you know, but that 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 would be an argument between lumpers and splitters of should it just be a sandhill crane or does it need to be its own species because it has this unique behavior? Yeah, um, of not migrating. Ooh, Jean, can I like? make you dig into that a little bit because I really liked the way that you said that you said does it need to be another species which I think kind of brings us to the whole argument of lumpers and splitters and a lot of people just ask what's the point of arguing these things so like what what is the point of trying to differentiate these things like why does it matter if it should be another species when do we know if it should be another species or like what are the different arguments there yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes I think it, yeah, it gets into philosophical stuff. <laughs> um, and if, if you go to like the Wikipedia article on species concept, there's actually some really interesting discussions on is a species an actual um, natural thing that exists or mm -hmm. is it just what we humans have, have decided to categorize things as? Mm. Um, and I, I got to think about that more because I'm not sure, you know, it, it's easy to say, obviously, a deer is a different thing than a coyote or yeah. my house cat is a different thing than a bobcat. Mm -hmm. But, you know, especially um, some of the uh, the closer and closer you get, it gets kind of weirder and weirder and weirder again with the sandhill cranes. Um, Oh, I can hear a crow. That's so great. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my window open. So he'll he'll pop in. Well, okay, there's one, you know, yeah, you get to start being similar and similar and similar. You have fish crows and the American crow. We'll just pull him in as an example. You know, physically, as far as I'm concerned, they look identical, but they sound different. You know, mm. and there, there are several bird species that that's kind of one of the main things you look at are frog species. Yeah. Um, where you look at the call. Um, and obviously like in frogs, the call matters cause that's what they're listening to, um, to identify an appropriate mate. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's one of those things of does it, does calling it a species matter to that animal? No, they don't care, but it can matter, um, when it comes to like protections, the way we have yeah. written our laws around like endangered species and threatened species. Mm -hmm. One of the things down here is the red wolf and the coyote. You know, coyotes have essentially kind of outbred the red wolf. They weren't originally native to Mississippi. 
but when they built bridges over the river, they were able to cross. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Oh, this is, do, do you want me to tell the story from scratch? Cause it's, it's a oh, good yeah. one. I've never, I've never heard of this. I think I've heard of um, red wolves and coyotes interbreeding maybe. Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start from scratch. Cause I know okay, anyway. at least Kansas people probably, yeah. Uh, a red wolf. What's that? <laughs> um, okay. So before like the 1800s, there were no coyotes um, east of the Mississippi River. Um, we had red wolves on this side of the river, which they look a lot like coyotes. Um, there's a few physical differences. Um, they sound different when they howl. And you had coyotes on the west side of the river, but the river itself is huge. It's a very difficult thing to try and cross for most animals. Um, mm. Some of them do it, but it really effectively divided a lot of populations um because especially down here in mississippi there's spots where the river is a mile wide um, trying to swim across a mile of moving water you just stay on shore you're fine <laughs> but when humans built bridges because guess what us crossing the river was difficult too um, you know, we got tired of having to wait on barges and boats. So we built the bridges. Well, coyotes, as I'm sure you're familiar with are pretty smart cookies. And so yeah. they were able to cross, got over here. The habitat is not that different between say Mississippi and Arkansas and Louisiana. Um, and so they started, um, basically pushing the red wolves out. They could breed together, and so today, depending on which scientists you talk to, um, there are some who will say that red wolves are essentially extinct because there's so much coyote genetics mixed in. We can't find, um, you know, a viable population of quote unquote pure red wolf. Wow. Um, and so that's where the argument is important because if they are, red wolves are an endangered species they have to be their own species because those laws that cover endangered species and protections, they don't count for hybrids. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to go out and protect this weird hybrid population. And so that's a place where being able to kind of definitively say, are red wolves still a viable species or not? Or are they basically um, part of the coyote species now? They've just been absorbed. Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of a question. Yeah. This makes me think of like bison immediately because a lot of our bison have, uh, domestic cattle mm -hmm. DNA mixed in now. The beefalo. The beefalo. Yes. Do we even have, like, I know we have like quote unquote more genetically pure herds and we keep track of those genetics, but do we even yeah. have pure bison anymore somewhere? I don't know. I really that's don't interesting know. Interesting too, but like clearly they're they're different because yeah. the bison, even with a little bit of cow blood, are very distinct from cattle. Yeah, but still, like, yeah, that's the the genetics part of this is very interesting. When you get it in plants too, because I think it's oh, yeah. um, like the what is it the elm trees or the, no the chestnuts that they've tried like introduced Chinese chestnut into American chestnut to try and bring it back. But is it really an American chestnut anymore? Yeah. And so I, I know that was one of the things that they talked about at NAI when they had the, I don't know if you were there for the chinkapin talk. I missed that one. Um, but yeah, they're trying to bring back the Ozark chinkapin and there was a push to bring in other 
tree genetics to try and give it a boost. But the people behind the project are like, no, we won't do that because then we can't say this is really the Ozark chinkapin yeah. um, if it's part of this other tree species. So it's it's one of those things that it starts out as this like purely mental exercise, but then it does get into the practicalities in these things like endangered species and species recovery. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, oh, there's so much more to it than, um, you know, what are, what are the, the four characteristics of a mammal or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Or birds or it gets into your dinosaurs and, and birds too. You're all of that. Uh-huh. This is so, I, you know, I wasn't even expecting you to go this I, micro taxonomy to use the new <laughs> word I've learned. Because <laughs> like when you said taxonomy, I was like, heck yeah, how do we even divide different groups? But like the the idea of going in so detailed. Yeah, exactly. Like we can barely divide the groups, but like what about actual individual species? Like it's easy for us to say, yeah, lions and tigers are different animals, but like this this is just kind of blowing my mind. Where is the life of it? Philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> It's, this is the stuff I, I do a lot of driving for my job. This is what I'm thinking about driving down the highway on my way to talk to school children. God, what <laughs> a nerd you are. Uh, isn't it wonderful? It's so beautiful. <laughs> I've gotten my coworkers hooked on you too. Um, so so the, the four people driving around the state of Mississippi, um, at least two of us, are 50% of the outreach educators in for our museum are listening to your podcast. Oh, that makes me so happy. Oh and now they're going to hear you. <laughs> now, now, yeah, I got to get the other two hooked, but <laughs> you're doing great work, Jean. Jackie, Deb, I'm coming for you. Yes. Um, <laughs> hi, Sabrina. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but this is so cool um, because it, it really goes beyond just like humans' innate desire and need to classify things because there's so many practical applications for this and like it's easy for us to say well it's a mental exercise really whether it's a red wolf or a coyote because like is there really a difference but sometimes there are huge differences and there might be differences in the way that they behave or maybe a hybrid is created that's suddenly parthenogenic and it can spread and become yeah. an invasive species or you know like it it matters parthenogenic coyotes mm -hmm. is a terrifying thought <laughs> <laughs> i like how that's where your mind went <laughs> up right there if it anyway oh. Um, <laughs> oh gosh but it's you know and sometimes the practical things are also human creations like the you know the laws around endangered species protections but oh. um that's just yeah. because we humans are incredible wonderful complicated creatures and <laughs> with beautiful squishy brains with beautiful squishy brains our greatest adaptation absolutely why do we do this to ourselves I, I don't know. I really don't. It's, there's all kinds of things that we think about, you know, and we come up with all these different ways to do things. Um, and this is just, yeah, just one little piece of how we look at things. And it's just, yeah, you, you think you've got a simple little topic of, oh yeah, um, you know, mammals and reptiles and flowering plants and non-flowering plants and fungus and bacteria and, um, you know, all of these things, but uh, there's just so much to it yeah. once you really stop and think, um, of how we got to all these different categories and just the weight of human history that brought us to 
arguing over whether or not a cackling goose is the same thing as a Canada goose. Um, right, right. And then you factor in like the history of the planet and like trying to fit in prehistoric animals that oh, yeah. may or may not have existed at the same time as some of the modern animals and like the history of where they came from. And I that makes me excited too, because I mean, you brought up birds and dinosaurs, so I am going to go there. But, you know, we <laughs> have a hard time. I would expect nothing our- less. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for entertaining my birds and dinosaurs soapbox. But like, really, it's hard for us to even find a line between like something that's as obvious as what's the difference between a bird and a reptile when we look back at our prehistoric past, you know, because it's hard for us to say like, the sauropod is definitely not a bird because it's totally got like very distinctly bird characteristics, even though it's a long necked dinosaur, you know, and mm-hmm. that makes like the the ever-changing nature of our planet and the animals on it makes this topic so interesting. And there's totally another philosophical side of this that I've heard before, which is that, you know, is our interfering to try and keep things on our planet the same, even a worthwhile exercise? Because we live on a planet that's always been changing. So why are humans trying to stop that from happening? And that's a really interesting conversation too. Well, that was my um, grad school professor. He had actually, it was his whole pet peeve of when people would talk about, oh, we're restoring this land. That was his question of, okay, to win, you know, before white people showed up, before Native Americans started, um, you know, changing the land because they did um, do things to land to make it better for their, um, you know, agriculture and hunting styles and things. So the idea of of North America is this untouched wilderness when Europeans showed up is, is BS. Um, that, that was always his, his question of when are you talking about and how are you going to make that choice of what you're trying to push this piece of land back to, um, you know, Mm -hmm. and if we can never fully get there, like what, where do we draw the line of where our efforts should stop too? Because we're never going to be able to completely restore it. We can't release bison back onto the Great yeah. Plains, for example. You know, we just don't have the infrastructure yeah. for that anymore. It's Yeah, there's but, all kinds of, of habitats that we have eliminated one way or another. We may have small preserves of them. Um, and so, yeah, trying to, it's almost like we as a worldwide culture and I don't. I, w- I wonder if it's the same in every kind of country and culture of the snapshot of Ooh. what a place is supposed to look like. Because it's probably different if you go to Europe or Asia or Australia or here in North America. Yeah. Of, you know, if you ask most you know folks with European ancestry um, or people who study um when Europeans came to North America that might be their image of that you know 1491 or 1493 depending on which book you prefer um of what North America is supposed to look like yeah but but then when you get outside of like places that have a colonial history where people have been for ever like, ever like that's such a good question I'd never considered that I hadn't either now I'm I'm very excited about it yeah. but yeah I mean like Australia if you talk to the native peoples versus um, the folks that were brought over in the, in the colon, the prison colonies, um, that you might get a completely different answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, oh gosh, now we have a whole nother show topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> weird extinct habitat types, um, or, or things like that. 
Because um, yeah, I mean, in Kansas, you got the tall grass prairie yeah. that there's little pieces of, but most of this of the state looks completely different than it would have um, when all these species we talk about preserving, right. you know, were just roaming free. Yeah. Oh, that's that's sad. A, um, um, humans being silly, humans being ridiculous. No, <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, but this is. I I guess we should probably clarify that. In this philosophical discussion, I don't think any biologists are saying that the idea of preserving natural resources is a fruitless effort. No, no. It's, yeah, no, we absolutely should be limiting how much damage we're doing. We should be working to keep things as best we can, um, simply, you know, how much poorer would the world be without as many species as we can have? but it's right. a lot of times I think there's this separation that people put between humans and the rest of the planet. Like anything that we do is automatically negative, yeah. you know, just because it might be changing something. But we're part of the planetary ecosystem. You know, we're, we're part of all of it. And so, yeah. um, you know, we were always going to have an effect on how ecosystems and species developed and changed but the the important thing is that we have those big squishy brains and we can make the choice of how exactly we do that. Yes. And so I think that's one of the things I get excited about yes. is because, you know, I'm out there hopefully helping kids get, that will grow up to make better choices and to have more of an understanding of how we can affect the world around us. So mm-hmm. but there's our positive note because, yeah, we, we can always make better choices. We can always do better. Yeah, and that's such a human thing, and that is so cool. <laughs> I'm not tearing up. <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah. How many other animals out there change the landscape and make the conscious choice yeah. to limit themselves? No. They're just going to build the biggest that. dams that they can, or the biggest prairie dog towns. Um, yeah, it's a whole yeah. whole thing. And I mean, I guess we should be used to this concept of species that change the environment around them. Cause yeah, you just named two right off the bat there, but for some reason we don't apply it to ourselves as a species on the planet. I guess our changes have been pretty unprecedented to the yeah. point of like altering the well, climate. But. <laughs> I don't know. There's gotta be, yeah, plants have, and what it, what was it? Um, I think the cyanobacteria changed the entire atmosphere. I, I, what? I might have, yeah. When, yeah. 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 They're the reason we so have that, That's an example of a species completely changing oh. the planet to, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not just humans. There's bacteria. They did it. They were the original. They were changing the planet before it was cool. Yes. But humans recognize that we're changing the planet and can make the choice uh, to see whether or not we want to live through a catastrophic world changing event that can wipe out our it back entire down, species. <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to say that we shouldn't let things yeah. like that go just because yes. in the history of the planet there have been changes before because we recognize that these changes are impacting us and we can decide and again we have that choice as humans with squishy brains to to make a change for the better not just for ourselves but for our planet because we have absolutely mind to do that that yeah that is absolutely the thing that makes us the most special I think of any any creature um you know other critters can build other critters have opposable thumbs but just for the sheer capacity to think and reason and choose our actions based on more than just instinct and self-preservation 
uh, yeah, humans are amazing. Um, so oh. humans are cool. Wow. Humans are cool. <laughs> well, that's not where I to go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I act, I feel like that was a really cool, good cool. note to end I'm, on. I'm honestly, <laughs> yeah, humans uh, are cool. <laughs> Uh, was there anything that you wanted to talk about, Jean, that we did not get to? I We covered it all and more. So you guys, that, that was awesome. So yeah, I did not expect to get into that deep philosophy and I love it. I really love it too. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> well, Jean, we're going to have to have you back on for like a part two philosophical discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure, out, figure out something and I'll, I'll do some more research and see what I can come up with. And so yeah, I miss, I miss you. Uh, it's good to hear your voice again, Rachel. And it's nice to meet you, Aww. Lindsay. <laughs> Aww. It's nice to meet you too, Jean. <laughs> I'm going to add you on Facebook. I hope that's not too creepy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Please do. You'll get, you'll get to see all sorts of alligator and baby pictures. Usually not in the same picture, but. <laughs> yes. And she means human babies, but possibly alligator possibly babies alligator also. Babies. I'm probably going to get one more cool. like the end of this year out of my current gator. And then I'll probably have to, we have like an alligator exchange program at the museum. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole, oh my God. <laughs> what? So, but, well, like when they get too big to take out to the schools, you know, we have to have something to do with them. Um, you, we can't just set them loose. Cause like this alligator, yeah. I've been using him for two years now. Um, he has probably been poked by like 10,000 kids. Um, <laughs> he has earned a retirement home. Um, so <laughs> he'll live at the yes. museum for a while until he's, maybe like four or five feet long. And then we usually find him a home with like a zoo or a, an alligator farm to just get to live out the rest of the days and never see another school child ever again. Oh, that's amazing. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I'll, I'll miss him. I mean, they, they do have a surprising amount of personality for a reptile. I feel like every animal that I've met surprises me to some capacity. Like you would never think an insect could have any kind of personality. You have but the somehow coolest insects though. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Humans reading into things because we like to do that. We, we anthropomorphize everything. I feel we've been cleaning house and I feel bad for some of the stuff I throw away. I'm like, it is an, literally an inanimate object. It does not matter um, if I give it to Goodwill or not. But I'll, you know, I'll feel a little bad sometimes. But there's so much history in this book. This poor book is being there neglected. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that too much. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we should probably let you go. Thank you so much. For- yeah, thank you for letting me come chat at you. Oh, we should do uh, natural dyeing or something at some point. Do you still do that in Mississippi? <gasps> I do. I well, I don't do as much of it, but yes, I do. Oh, we could. We could. Oh, Rachel, that would be so cool. Let me yeah. let me put together a talking points list and we can do this. Um, just let me know when you want to talk again. Okay. <laughs> we can always put down a record and then just like, you know, have it in our backlog for a yeah. rainy day when we Absolutely. can't. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Sounds good. Yay. <laughs> well, thanks, Jean. Right. Um, let's thanks. do our outro. I don't know what we even say. Um, yeah. Thanks to our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center, uh, who produces this podcast. Woo. Woo. You can check out Jean's show notes at gpnc.org slash that's hyphen my hyphen favorite. And uh, yeah, 
we'll be back next time. Wow, that was bad. We'll be back next time. <laughs> more one more go with that. <laughs> we'll be back next time in two weeks or something like that with more favorites because yeah, everything's our favorite, including humans, apparently. It's a great way to live. Just enjoy everything.